0: As, uh, as we've been studying through the book of James, we're going to continue today learning some practical faith from the book of James. And uh, this is only the third message that we've had in the book of James, so if you're just joining us today, uh, you're not far behind. You can go back and listen to some of the previous messages uh, online if you want to, and get some of the background of James and, and what brings us to this study. But today we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 13-13. To sixteen, And the, the, if anybody needs a Bible, you can raise your hand too. We've got some Bibles in the back that you can grab as well. So um, the title of the message today is Desire and Deception. It's like the title of some like uh, romance novel that you'd find in a used bookstore somewhere. <laughs> but what we're going to find here is that this, this statement, or this, this phrase, Desire and Deception, it really sums up some of what James is going to teach us today about temptation. And, and it's a topic that is important for us to look at and to study and think about because as human beings, part of our human nature is that we all deal with temptation. And some of our temptations that we deal with are lightweight temptations, like the temptation of chocolate. And I know that that's actually a big temptation for some people. <laughs> but some of the temptations that we have in our lives are not just something like that. It's, it's heavy temptations. Temptation towards sin. Life-altering sin. Devastating sin. And so today we're going we're gonna to study that a, a little bit. And what James is going to teach us uh, about that. So before we jump into the, our study, let's, let's pray here and ask God to speak to us through his word. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a God who is present, a God who is here as we've just invited you in this morning in our time of worship, declaring who you are and what you're about. And Lord, one of those things that we know about you is that you love us deeply and that you desire that we would find you in this life, that we would live lives in fullness and joy. And Lord, we know that in that we have to understand these things about temptation. About ourselves, about you, about the world. And so Lord, we pray that today you would teach us. Teach us about these things. Teach us about ourselves and teach us about yourself. That we would know you more. That we would be able to overcome these things that, that come into our lives. And that we would be able to walk in, in holiness and honor. With you, I thank you for every person who's here today, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to every heart and that we would be changed as your word teaches us and guides us. And we pray these things in your name, Father. Amen. Well, I'm the type of person who likes to know why. Are any of you like that? You, you want to know why this works. I wasn't really the little kid that always would just always ask my parents, why, why, why? You know, do this? Why? Do that? Why? I wasn't that kid, but I was more of the the person, and I still am the one that would kind of like in my mind I'd be asking why, why do we do it this way? Why is it done that way? How does this work? How does this not work? How can I fix that? How can I break that? How can I? How does this entire world all fit together? Um, I I like to take things apart to figure out how they work. I like to watch the, my daughters were just talking about it the other day, how they used to watch with, with their grandpa um, the, the show How It's Made. You know, have, have any of you seen that? Where they go back through and you're like, how is it that we end up with whatever? <laughs> and you go to some factory and they talk you through the process of it. And it's, it's interesting to some people. Some people don't care about any of that. I'm not talking to you really right now, but we will, we'll get to you. Um, I even like things that are not even like mechanical why, but even like documentaries that go back and, and look at an event to say what took place to make this happen. Or what was involved in making somebody think this way or do this thing. I, I, I think that's, that's interesting. I read biographies about people interesting people and, and get all the little bits of information about their life that shaped them to maybe do some great thing or some not so great thing, whatever it is. That's interesting to me. I also do the same thing with myself. I don't know about you, uh, but even if you're not a curious person in, in the world of engineering or anything like that, a lot of times, as soon as we, we start becoming a little bit self-aware, we start asking ourselves, why do I do the things I do? And why don't I do some of the things that I have told myself I should do? Why is it that my brain functions the way it does? Why is it I can feel one way about something one minute and 20 minutes later, I feel completely different about that thing? And 20 minutes later, I'm back over here again. Why am I this way? Why, does it, why do I function that way? And that's part of understanding who we are, who God is and how we w- operate in this world. I am guilty of sometimes over-analyzing things. My wife will tell you, I'm an overthinker, chronic overthinker. I don't really stop with some of those things. but it really comes back down to that, that, that position of trying to figure out what is happening and how do we deal with that. Now, when we're talking about temptation here, James isn't going to answer all of our why questions. There's going to be some things at the end of this, what we look at here in James, in regards to temptation, that you're still not going to have all those answers of why. But he does a lot in giving us some direction on some of the things that are behind it. Why do we deal with temptation? Why are we tempted by evil when we've chosen to pursue good? And as we see here the issue can be reduced down to those two words, desire and deception. All right, so let's begin by reading James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Here's what he tells us. He says, let no one say when he's, when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. All right, the very first thing that we learn here is that God is not the source of temptation. All right, so no matter where the temptation is coming from, and we're going to get into that because it's complicated, you can guarantee at least one thing. God is not the one tempting you to do evil. Okay. Now, what we're going to learn about temptation, actually what we learn about sin in general, is one of the ways that we deal with sin and deal with things like temptation or deal with things that we do that we don't want to do is one of our favorite things to do as human beings is blame shift. We want to blame somebody else. We want to come up with an excuse for something. No, mom, I didn't make my bed because of this. No, teacher, I didn't do my homework because of that. No, I'm sorry, I said that thing. It was because of this or that. Or We always want to blame shift. We want to find somebody else to, to, to blame. And God is one of those people that people will often blame. Well, God made me this way, so it's his fault. God let me be wired this way or put me in that family to be exposed to those things and experience that. So it's got to be God's fault. That's why I, I fell into this sin by temptation. But James tells us no. No, actually, it's not God. Now, last week, I know that this is kind of just just decoding between language, but last week, one of the things that I I taught you and, and we learned about was that there's a difference between God testing us and the devil tempting us. Now, the hard part is sometimes they look very similar, the difference between a test and a temptation. But one comes from God. God tests us. But it's for our benefit and our growth. Our testing, as we saw last week, as he talked about, hey, count it as joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face a trial. Because it's doing a work in you. It's actually expanding your faith. It's deepening your faith and your knowledge and understanding who God is. It's allowing you to trust him more. All right, when God tests us in that way, it's for our benefit and growth. It's good. The devil, on the other hand, he tempts us. And when he tempts us, it's for our destruction and death. It's evil. All right, that's the difference between those. And James wants us to be able to discern between those two things because they have different paths all the way through. And so, with that, and with the the typical, I told you James, is sometimes he's blunt. He's, he's, he speaks with authority. He, he doesn't have a lot of extra words around it. He's just going to tell you this is the way it is. And the, the, one of the first Jamesian sort of things that he says here today is he says, Look, don't blame God for temptation. Because God is not that way. He cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. It's not a possibility. Evil has no place with God. Uh, Warren Wearsby, the commentator, said it this way. He said, he's too holy to be tempted and too loving to tempt others. There's no temptation with God. Psalm says it this way. Psalms 5 says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. When we're talking about temptation, specifically we're talking about temptation that leads us to evil. And God is never going to lead someone toward evil because evil cannot even dwell with him. And he wants to lead people toward himself. Psalm 145, 17 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So if you've ever thought, well, God's out to get me. That's why this is happening. God wants to punish me for this or beat me down for that. He's leading me toward evil. He set me up. No, no. He didn't. His ways are good and he is kind in all his works. So God, the first big point for you to know as you take away from this today, is that God never has and never will tempt someone to do evil. Okay? The tempter, on the other hand, is someone else. And temptation itself, as we're going to see here today, is actually an inside job. Okay? There are external and internal forces at work with temptations that lead us to sin. Because that's one of the things that we have to to talk about here as we start getting our brains around temptation and what what it includes. Temptation itself is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Temptation, that we're discussing here though, is something that would lead you towards sin. Okay, Jesus... Never sinned. He lived, he's the only human being to ever live life with no sin. But Jesus was tempted. In fact, one of the, the most um, prevalent, uh, like, powerful stories in the Gospels is we see the temptation of Jesus. And you might be familiar with that story. But before Jesus began his ministry, when he was uh, about age 30, it tells us that the Lord, God, the Father, led Jesus into a trial, like we talked about last week. Why is God leading us into trials? To develop us, to grow us, for our good, for our health. And he led, it says, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So Jesus was led out here into this trial and exposed to his temptations. But he did not sin. Now we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more as we go on. Um, You you know, you might have heard um, the old phrase, and many of us have, you know, the devil made me do it. So that's the next person that we want to blame shift. Well, if it's not God that's causing us to be tempted and to sin, well, it's got to be the devil. It's got to be the devil. The devil made me do it. Well, what we're going to find out here as we study this is, well, the devil didn't make you do it. He might have been involved, (laughs) but he didn't make you do it either. Instead, we're going to see uh, that, that things are a little, a little bit different than that. Now, it, when I tell you that, that God allowed the devil to come and tempt Jesus, that might feel like it's contradicting the verses we just looked at. You're like, wait a minute, hold on, how does this work? There's, you just told me that God doesn't tempt anybody, that the devil is the tempter, but Jesus was tempted, but God allowed it to happen. So even though he didn't directly tempt Jesus toward evil, isn't that sort of as if God was letting that happen? Um, Isn't he kind of responsible for that? All right. The difficult thing to understand is that God allows temptation because of his love for us. Now you might be like, all right, get get my brain into that one because that is a little bit hard. Here's here's the way to understand this, and this is a a shallow look at it, but hey, it's going to get you somewhere. In God's deep love for us, he has given us freedom to make choices, all right? If there are no choices, there is no freedom. And if there's no freedom, then true love cannot be expressed. If God just made you to love him, it's not really love. Instead, what God has done is he has set things up in such a way that he has given you the freedom to choose to love him. But that also opens up the back door. Because what he's also done in giving you the freedom to love is he's given you the freedom toward evil. And that's where we get stuck in the middle of this. God wants you to be able to have freedom to choose. He wants you to freely love him as he loves you. But he also knows that by opening up that freedom, it also opens up the ability for us to reject God and choose wickedness. If there are choices, there, are, there is the freedom to love, but also the freedom to choose evil, which is really what temptation is. Temptation is wanting to satisfy a desire in a way that God did not intend. Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted. You might say, well, what was it that Jesus could be tempted to do or, or, or you know, with? He was tempted to fulfill God's will, but not in the Father's way. All right? The devil, when if you go and read that story about the devil um, bringing these temptations to Jesus, what you find out is the devil offered Jesus a shortcut to the kingdom. God the Father sent Jesus here to say, you're going to usher in the kingdom. The kingdom that is going to invite humanity to be in right relationship with me once again. And you are going to make things new and make things right. Because the world has been broken. And Jesus said, I will go and do that very work. But, as we know, as the story unfolds, what that also would include, it would include a cross. So the devil comes along and says to Jesus, hey, you can have a kingdom. I've got the kingdom right now here on earth. You want to come down and have a kingdom? I'll give you a kingdom. All you got to do is worship me. It'll work out. And there's a certain aspect of Jesus, a real temptation in Jesus that says, I do want the kingdom. And that is an easier way to do it. And that was a temptation, a true temptation for Jesus, a kingdom that didn't require a cross. Now, it's easy for us to focus on the devil's role in temptation. And I know that you kind of want to go down that path with me. I kind of want to go there with you. But it's not the devil that James is focusing on here. All right? And so we want to stick where we're at in James, and we want to look at what James has to say about this. And look at verse 14 in James 1. Here's what he says about it. He's already told us, it's not God tempting you. Take a look. Verse 14. But each person is tempted When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The guilty party that James is focusing on here is someone that we all know and love. Ourselves. He says the real issue with temptation is something that is within each one of us. Within ourselves. There is a real devil. With a desire to destroy every human being. But even his greatest temptations. Lose their effectiveness without our desire. Without human desire. And that's the first focus of our, 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 our two-part uh, study here today. On desire and deception. Desire is our first focus. All of us every single one of us, from the holiest one of us to the most unholy of us, all of us have desires within ourselves. And all of us are tempted to sin. It might not feel like that when you come to church on Sundays. You might be like, yeah, I'm with all those holy people, all those church people. They seem to got it together. They go through it every day. They show back up on a Sunday and they're smiling and their life is together. Their kids are good. Everything is fine and dandy and wonderful. These people don't deal with temptation like me. If they only knew what went through my head this week or what happened, came out of my mouth this week or the things that I did. Oh, it's no, <laughs> it's not true, guys. Every one of us deal with temptation. Every one of us have, to have these desires within us. And here's the other thing to understand, though. Desire itself is not sin. It's not sin. In fact, our desires were originally placed within us by God. At the beginning of creation, when everything was good, we had desire. God has desires. He has pure desires that are motivated by love. But because of sin in the world and our fallen nature, our desires are mixed. And that's what I was talking about at the very beginning of this. It's like sometimes we feel like our desires are right in line with God. There were people of love and goodness and we want to do what's right and choose the path that follows Christ. And then other times our desires are a mess and we want everything that is the opposite way of God. Anybody feel that way ever in their lives? Just me and Paul? Okay. that's, That's the way it is. We have this mix happening. We've got good desires and evil desires tied up within us. And some of those desires lean toward love, but others lean toward selfishness. Some lean toward generosity, others toward greed. And we could go on and on of seeing these mixed messages that happen in our hearts. And when we become aware of God and begin to learn the difference between what's right and what's wrong, the battle's not over. You might have hoped that, okay, well, great. I'm going to choose to live and follow Jesus. I'm going to follow after him and that's what I'm going to do. Good. I'm done with my desire issues. I'm done with my temptations because I've chosen to follow God. But because we're so mixed and we're so torn, it doesn't always function that way. In fact, in fact, it, it never functions that way. The battle's not over. It's actually just beginning because we weren't even really aware of some of our desires even being evil until we came to the Lord. And as the Lord starts changing us and transforming us, he starts pulling more and more things, veils across from, that are covering our eyes. And he says, oh, there's this in you too. And you're like, ah, oh, that's another one of those places. I didn't realize my desire was tweaked there. Oh, it is. And so there's this process that we're, we're going through. And we sense that struggle within us. And those desires sometimes seem like they have a life of their own. As James said it right there, he says they're luring and enticing us from within. From within. Jesus said the very same thing. In Mark 7, he said this, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's not even a comprehensive list. (laughs) All these things come from within, and they defile a person. And that's exactly what James jumps off of. And he says in back in, in our passage in James in verse 15, he says these desires that are luring you and enticing you, then here's what happens next. It says in verse 15, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. These Disordered desires, desires that don't line up with God's design. They live in our minds. That's where these desires are. They're in our minds. And without getting too philosophical on you, our mind is the meeting place within us of our thoughts, our wills, our desires, and our ideas. That's what we would describe as our mind. I I, I don't simply mean our physical brain, although our mind actually influences even the physical structures of our brain and the neurological pathways in us. But our mind is is more of an all-person, a a total-person kind of a thing. And when those broken desires of our minds develop into a decision, or an action, that's what results in sin. All right? The desire itself is still this nebulous place. It's, this place of temptation is still coming across us as humans. But it's not until we make that decision or we, we make that choice that we allow it to, be, to conceive here, to, to come to life become a concept that's when it can actually move into the place of sin when it's no longer just an idea it's now a concept the first step toward reality and that's what James is describing when he says it's conceived he's it's it's baby language right he's saying the baby is on the way but this is no bundle of joy <laughs> when this baby comes Right? This sin, when sin actually enters into the world. Because what we know about the Bible and what you hear all the time, and you know this, is sin always leads to death. It always, always, always leads to death. And that's what James tells us. He says, when sin is full grown, death. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. This is a story that most people, church people or not church people, know pretty well. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall. All right, that's when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. And back in Genesis chapter 3, we see this this entire temptation process happen. And, And we see all of the parties involved. God is there, the devil is there, and people are there. And the desires of those people are there. The temptation comes along. And that's what we find. And if you you study it out and you look at it, the temptation was offered by the serpent to reject God's way for their own way. That's what it really came down to. If you remember the story, God had told Adam and Eve, look, I'm putting you in this garden. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's Eden. It's Eden. You're going to love this place. But I need to set two simple ground rules. And that is, there are two trees that I don't want you to eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and the tree of life. All right? Don't eat from those. Anything else you can have, just don't go there. All right, That's the choice. Now, the desire isn't immediately, it's not like they walk by the tree one day and they're like, ooh, that smells really good. I just want to eat that. That's not what we find. It's not they walked by and like, oh, it's such a beautiful tree. I, I really don't think God meant us not to mess with that. No, that's not the temptation at all. The temptation actually comes when the serpent shows up and says to Adam and Eve, hey, hey, did God really tell you that you can't eat from this tree? And Adam and Eve are like, well, yeah, we can eat from pretty much anything, just not those two trees. Well, why would God do that? Is God limiting you? Is God trying to keep you down? What is God actually doing with that? That's where we start seeing some of those desires pop up. Because what's happening is, in the mind of Eve and Adam as well, they're like, well, you know, I kind of want to be like God too. Here is God, this, this perfect being. He's above everything else. He knows everything. He's got all control He's absolute, he's wonderful, he's magnificent, he's God. Why wouldn't I want to be like God? And that's where the temptation actually comes in. The temptation is the serpent comes along and says, hey, you know, if you take one of those fruits, you're going to become like God. That's the only reason he told you not to eat of that fruit, because you'll be like him. Do you see what's going on here? It's a temptation that's hitting the desire that lays under, underneath. And the sin wasn't even that desire. It wouldn't have been a sin for Adam to have a conversation with God the next morning of not eating the fruit to say, God, I need you to know, man, I was tempted. This desire came up to be like you. And God would have said, it's all right, my son, I'm glad you didn't go there. That wasn't sin. The sin was once they took what God said not to take and eat what God said not to eat. And the result was the death of so many things. Now, it wasn't a physical death. That was part of the way that we'll get into deception here in a little while. But part of the issue was what God told them, which was true, is if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Now... What God didn't give them the rest of the details was, well, it's not an immediate death, but it's an ultimate death. A death that you would never have to have otherwise. And what we see is we see death at a whole bunch of levels. We see relational death. We see ultimate physical death. But we see uh, eyes being exposed to things and a knowledge of things that they, they never needed to have. Sin always leads to death. Maybe not immediate death, but it's always headed in that direction. And as I've taught many many times and I'll teach again today, sin is anything that breaks relationship with God or with others. And without repentance of our sin, that brokenness cannot be repaired. Look, let's let's talk about this. So, we got to put some practic- we're, we're we're doing a series on practical faith. We got to put some practical terms for you here. If that was too philosophical and deep, let's just talk about lying. All right, lying is one of those sins that we can usually all agree on that it's a sin. Okay, the Bible says, don't bear false witness. Uh, The Bible tells us multiple places, don't lie, don't be a liar. Lying is sin, all right? Now, if you can at least agree there, then the next step is to say, guess what? Because I know some of you human beings, and I know myself, we all have lied. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many people have lied this week. Or even this morning. Okay? We lie as human beings. Now, think about this a little bit. When you lie to somebody else, one of two things can happen. They can find out about the lie, or they can never find out about the lie, which is what you're always hoping for. But in many cases, they actually find out about the lie. And what dies with a little white lie or some, some lie. If I say sin leads to death and lying is sin, therefore lying leads to death, what dies if you lie? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that dies is a little bit of the trust between you and that other person. Immediately. Even if you are a well-known liar. Even if, because if you have any relationship with anybody and they know, oh, that person lies all the time, Still, once they find out about another lie that you told, they know a little bit more. I got to keep my distance from that person because they're a liar. It damages relationship, right? That's the way it is. Now, if it's the kind of a thing where, well, you know, I lied, but they didn't find out, well, you still violated a commandment of God and your spiritual relationship with God. You've been distanced a little further from God. There's death, spiritual death, an amount of spiritual death that happens there. Why? Because as we saw back in Psalms, God cannot be near evil. So the more wicked you are, the more evil you are, the more sin that you pile up against yourself is pushing you away from God. It's not that God's pushing you out, your sin is pushing you out. Do you understand that? Do you see how that works? That's what's taking place when when this happens. There's a degree of death that's taking place. Every sin brings forth death. So here's what you need to know today sin is serious. Sin is serious. And that's why in verse 16, James says this He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. It is true that we live in a sin saturated world. Sin's everywhere. I mean, just take lying, for instance, all right? People lie. We hear lies, we see lies, we know it's happening. That's just one little sin. It doesn't take you long to see sin in the world, right? We know it's saturating our world. And every human being alive and every human being that has ever lived, except for Jesus Christ, is or was a sinner. And we live in a culture that not only minimizes sin, but increasingly celebrates sin. Okay, and that's what we're seeing right now in the decline of the the morality of our culture. We're seeing more and more people celebrating sin. And guys, it's not a surprise. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans chapter 1, if you want to go read it, it says that's exactly what's going to happen. As time goes on, people are going to be deceived and accept the lies of sin as this is good and this is right and this is okay. And it's this whole path that a society will take. But because of that, the reason I bring this up, is because our society is so soaking in sin, it's easy for us to accept sin as a normal part of life. But sin is serious, and sin leads to death. But because we're around it all the time, it numbs us. We become desensitized to it. And we're just like, ah, everybody else does this. Everybody else lives this way. So what's the big deal? But the Bible tells us, no, actually, sin is serious. Sin leads to death. We can't let it happen where we allow ourselves to view sin as a normal part of life. It's not what we're called towards. It's not what God has for us. Uh, in, in his book, a book that I'm reading right now called Live No Lies, John Mark Comer points out that the devil's number one strategy for destroying humanity If you were to to go do an interview with with Satan and said, what's the number one thing you're trying to do to wreck us all? The answer is actually not what you would think. It's not nuclear war. It's not disease. It's just deception. It's deception. Because this this is the way it works. If he can deceive us and get us to believe lies... He doesn't have to do much else. He doesn't need to lead you into murder. He only needs to get you to believe that your sins are OK, and you can just stay in your sins. That's all he needs, because he knows, as well as the Bible tells us, sin leads to death. And his ultimate goal, the Bible tells us, to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants you dead. He wants all of us dead. And if he can just get us to be satisfied with our sins, he's done his job. Jesus said this about the devil in John eight forty four. 44. He said, he, referring to the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You have to understand that lies are the native language of the devil. Effective lies deceive the hearer. All right, that's why we tell a lie. The only reason anybody ever wants to tell a lie is to make somebody think something's not true. Something different. You want them to look at you differently. You want them to do something that they wouldn't do if they knew the truth. Whatever it is, that's the whole point. Deception. That's the way it is. And there are twisted truths or half-truths. They're all lies. And our broken desires that are, are fueled by lies lead us to sin. This is what I mean. Uh, let's, let's take this. You might, you might think, hey, you know, that new car will make me happy. And you believe that lie. If I can only get that, I'll be happy. Or, or you know, those new shoes will make you beautiful. Like just get those. Saying that your coworker will make you you know, saying that thing about your coworker will make you feel better, move your career forward, so it's worth it. Or here's here's a lie that that a lot of people have in their minds. You know, your spouse was really a mismatch. That other person, they complete you. These are lies. Or, how about this one? Well, no one will really miss it if I take a little extra for myself. The Bible has a story about that with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They came up with what seemed like a real generous offering that they wanted to give to the church. And they had sold some property, and they said, hey, let's take this money and give it to the church to bless the church with. But let's hold some back for ourselves and just act like we're giving it all, because that'll look a lot better. But we'll still hold some back for us, because, hey, it's our money. You're right, it is your money. But the lie itself ended up causing literal death in that case, but death and destruction. They come forward and say, hey, yeah, here it is, all of it. You know, look at us, we're awesome. And what did, what did uh, uh, Peter have to say to them? He says, look, you're not just lying to me. You're lying to God. And it's a sin that leads toward death. These are what these lies do. These lies twist things. And the lies that we believe not only lead us to sinful action, they can also lead us to sinful inaction. If you believe that you're a worthless human being that will never amount to anything. Oh, I'm just a failure, a fraud. God doesn't even love me. Guys, a lot of people believe that. It's a lie. It's a lie. And what can that do? It It can paralyze you from doing anything it can keep you from stepping into the things that God has for you in this life. And in the extreme cases of that, what does it do? It the false belief poisons somebody. This is where you get suicide. Where people say it's hopeless, there's nothing else I can do or live for. Lies can trap us in fear. We can tell ourselves after being hurt, I'm just better off by myself. I don't need people. I don't need a community. I can do this on my own. These are lies. Now, the primary lie that we're staring down today is that sin doesn't matter or that it isn't that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Jesus came that we would have life, but sin leads to death. And what James is telling us is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. All right, so how do we finish this thing today? Well, I've got two things, two practical things for you to do with this. The first one is we avoid the deception and acknowledge the truth that sin leads to death. And then we address our desires, okay? We avoid deception and we address our desires. First off with avoiding the deception. You know it's out there. I've told you it's out there. The devil's native language is lies. Our culture is full of lies. Lies are everywhere. Don't be deceived by the lies. Well, how am I supposed to do that? How do I know the difference between what is true and what is false? Well, the devil, devil is the father of lies, but God is the author of truth. All right? And the defense against our steady diet of lies is a steady diet of the truth. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he's telling us right there, the source of truth in this world that we need to counteract what we're being exposed to is truth and the word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. In John 8, 31 to 32, he said this. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The way that we avoid the deception is by filling ourselves with the truth. And it's my job, and my joy, by the way, to faithfully give you a dose of truth on Sunday mornings. Okay? But a 45-minute serving of truth won't sustain you through a week of being, of the onslaught of lies that come into your heads, and into your hearts, and into your minds. It doesn't equal out. What that means is that you have to begin feeding yourselves. Look, and I'm not saying this flippantly, but most everyone in this room knows how to read, (laughs) okay? And, And if you do know how to read, I'm imploring you as your pastor, something that you would expect a pastor to say, read your Bibles. I know this is not the only word of God. God still is speaking to this day, But what we do know is that God's words are found in here. So you can at least know that the words of God are in this book for you. This is one of the ways that we fill ourselves with truth and fight and combat those lies that we are constantly, constantly besieged with. Jesus taught us to abide in his word. And when he uses that word abide, what's that mean? It means that you're living in it. You're filling yourself with it. You're filling your life uh, with it and finding life through it. All right, so that's the first thing we need to do. To avoid the deception, we fill ourselves with truth to push away the lies. Secondly, how do we address our desires? Because that's the real thing that, that gets us with these temptations often, right? If our desires were all in line, then like we said, we'd be like Jesus. The temptations would come. And what did Jesus do, if you know that story, actually? When the temptations came to Jesus, he started shooting out God's word. Everything that the devil would have to say, Jesus was responding with God's word. Yeah, well, I hear that you're saying this to me, devil, but God says, boom. His desires were in line, and our desires have to change. Our circuitry has to be rewired. The disordered desires that make us susceptible to temptation have to be reordered in right relationship with God. And that's what the Bible tells us in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is what he's talking about. Our, our desires have to change. And if you've been struggling with temptation or falling into, falling into sin because of temptation... You can try to put a Band-Aid on it. I just won't go there. I won't talk to that person or I won't do this or that. Or you can come to God and have him change the desire behind it. Because then the temptation comes forward and it no longer has the same pull. And you start finding the freedom that that we have when we've been transformed. How does that happen? By drawing close to God and letting him do the work of transformation in us. This is really where the, the message of the gospel has to break through. We can't do this on our own. Lots of people try, but we can't do it on our own. We need the grace of God in our lives because when God transforms us, he doesn't just transform your spirit. Sometimes we think that. We think, well, he's God, is spirit, and so there's this spiritual element in me that he's gonna change and fix. No, God actually wants to change all of you. Your heart, your mind, your soul. Yes, your body, what you do with your body, all those things, everything. He wants to transform you completely and totally. Even the brokenness that's been with us as long as we can remember. Because a lot of times with sin, especially recurrent sin in our lives, what we say is, well, I've always struggled with this. It's always been this way in my life. This is how I was raised. This is how I was exposed. There's no way that I could ever get out of this. I'm 30 years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, and I'm still doing but God can do it. God can change it. God can change us. He doesn't just want to restore the innocence of childhood. He is doing a foundational work of renewal and recreation. Restoring us to be the people he intended us to be before sin entered the world. And what do we, will we'll learn later in James where he says, how does it that you, you draw, how do you find God? He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you in James 4, 8. So how do we draw near to God? Prayer, worship, spiritual practices. Go back to Jesus as your example. What did Jesus do? We see as we study his life. How did he overcome temptation? By spending time with the Father in solitude, in silence, which is totally counterintuitive to everything we know in our lives. But spending time alone with God, not on your phone, Not with a TV running in the background. No, actually spending time with God in that way. What else did Jesus do? He filled his mind and heart with scripture. That's why he could quote scripture and respond with scripture by praying, fasting. That's what he was doing when during the time of temptation. And worshiping. Spiritual practices. These are the things. And as we follow his example, we will follow the path that leads to life. Our desires are broken. Deception is everywhere. But Jesus has shown us the way. So I hope that today, as you think about this, that you start thinking about all right, well, how can I? Because I said, James is practical for us, he's not going to let you just think about it and leave. He's practical. And if you are dealing with this, if you've dealt with sin that's, that's plaguing you, if you're struggling with temptation, what we find here in the Word are some practical things that you can begin to add into your life that you are all capable of doing to start finding some success and freedom in this way. Well, let's pray that the Lord would hide that in our hearts today. Father, I know this is hard to hear as a message and I know it's uh, difficult for us to sometimes think about and 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 understand because we really are beings that have desires that just overwhelm us at times. And there are times where we are pulled toward things that we have refused in the past. There are times where we struggle over and over with the same temptations and the same sins. But I do believe, and I know from my own experience, that you desire to bring deliverance and freedom. And Lord, as you've given us these practical ways to experience that freedom and deliverance, I pray that all of my brothers and sisters out here would begin putting these things into practice. Lord, make us people that avoid deception because we know the truth. Let us know your word. Help us spend time and make time and carve out time in our lives to read your word, to come to church, to be involved in spiritual conversations and discussions, to seek out truth. Help us get to that place. And Lord, also, I pray that as we do that, I pray, God, that as we do our very best to to address our desires by coming near to you, I ask, Lord, that you would be merciful to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts and lives. We don't want to be people that just know about God. We want to be people that know God and have a testimony of a changed life. And we know that that is part of what you desire to do, so we ask that you would do that among us. Encourage us and strengthen us, we pray.